Today we're beginning a, a new series. We have really two series that are close related, one on Wednesday night, one on um, Sunday morning. In, in, on Wednesday night we're looking, be looking at the book of Mark and the teachings of Jesus there. And here in Luke chapter 6 we'll look at some of the teachings, or Luke, in the book of Luke we'll look at some of the teachings that are there. Uh, you, you remember in the, in the spring, we looked at the marvelous works of Jesus. We looked at his miracles. We looked at his death and his resurrection, ascension, and how glorious it is. And so we did that through the book of Luke, but we skipped over the teaching sections, which there are a lot of them. Some of the most famous passages uh, in the Bible are in the book of Luke, like the Good Samaritan, the story of the prodigal son, and so on. And so we're going to look at some of those teachings and see now the marvelous teachings of Jesus because they are marvelous indeed. They call us to a level of holiness that, uh, that is like the Father in heaven that challenges us but also comforts us with the truths of the gospel and the truths of the good news that it's not just our work that is advancing us, but it is God working in us. That is really the, the root of this and changing our heart. And uh, so we're going to see that. Today we're going to look at a lengthy section of teaching. Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through the end of the chapter in verse 49, which is a sermon that Jesus gave or a summary of the sermon that, that he gave. And uh, so let's consider that together and we'll take a look at what Jesus teaches us. Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him, because prayer was coming, uh, power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, Do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. 
But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. When you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. This is God's word. Let's pray. O Lord our God, you have come to us and you have called us to repentance. And in many ways, these words are hard for us to hear. But we pray, O Lord, that you would give us ears so that we might hear. And that we might see how we might find the way of true blessedness. Help us, O Lord, not to be confused by the message of the world, which would point us in a different direction, but instead to follow the words of Jesus. And so build our, our house upon the rock. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. This week I had the privilege of having lunch with a pastor of missions at another church to talk about a few items. And one of the what he shared with me and interesting, some interesting results of some research that had been done. And what this research said is that is asked the question, why do, why do missionaries leave the mission field? And you know, it's not because, it wasn't because of being homesick, it wasn't because of ad- adapting to the culture, it wasn't because of the results of their missions or work. It was, be, it was most often because of issues within their own team. Issues of relationships. And as I thought about that, I said, well, why do most pastors leave the ministry? It's generally people issues, things that they struggle with, they get tired of it, and and they leave. And probably that's also why most people would leave their jobs. (laughs) Sometimes you could say this job would be great except for the people that I have to work with, right? And so that's, that's why people leave their jobs. So these are the heart of the pro- sort of problems we face on a daily basis. And Jesus speaks right into these sorts of problems that we face. He speaks of, of money, relationships, and improving our lives and character. 
And these are the subjects that are as common as we can be. And these are the subjects on which we need to think and consider and think well. And yet Jesus, as he teaches us these things, turns on, turn on its head the common wisdom that people have about these issues. And he teaches us something, a completely different way of living. He calls us to a different way of thinking. A different way of thinking that is going to lead to true blessedness and a true overflowing life that will glorify God, bless us, and bless others. And so that's what we want to consider. I'm going to, it's not all he talks about in these sections, but I'm going to summarize it in, these, in three different ways. Money, relationships, and life change. Money, relationships, and life change as the three points of the sermon. So as we think about money, when people look, about, when people look at the poor, they tend to think of the poor as cursed. They might not say, use those exact words, but they're saying, man, it's terrible to be poor. That's one of the worst things. And this is especially true when poverty or lack of money or resources hits them. When they know they can't make their bills or they lose their job or they lose their home, then they tend to view themselves as cursed. But on the other side, people tend to view the rich as blessed. The ones who have the money in the big houses and, all, and the money in the bank are the people who are blessed. And when people have money and have things are, seem to be going well in that way, then they consider themselves to be blessed. Um, I remember talking to one young, one young man. He was working at our church uh, doing some, some work for us. And I said, how's things going? And he says, I'm blessed because I, I think God is for me because I've got you know, money in the bank and my job is going well. And that's really how we tend to think. But Jesus turns this on its head. He says here something that's really surprising. He says that blessed are you who are poor. And he says, woe to you who are rich. He says the exact opposite of what we would tend to think. And um, so what is this blessing of the poor that Jesus talks about? Because that's, you see, that's blessed are you who, poor, who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you when people hate you. And he says all these things that seem so crazy. But if you think about it, Jesus is speaking to people who have chosen to follow him. And many of them experienced these types of things. They were following him, but they didn't immediately get rich. They were poor. They often were opposed by others. They were, they were those who might have had to weep and experience difficulty. As you think about even experiencing the life of Jesus, where they were going to see him uh, put to death and have him taken from them and, and then themselves face many trials in the future. But Jesus wanted them to see that in spite of those things, that they were blessed. And why were they blessed? Because that wasn't the end of the story. It was a way, it was a path, and it was leading to something greater. You who are poor now are going to experience the greatness of the kingdom of heaven. Even though they might have seemed like they were the lowest of the low, like they were not experiencing good things, they were on the way in the path to glory and greatness. That's what Jesus was teaching. In fact, the trials they faced, as he explains in very many other places, would lead them to a better future. And so, you know, this is a common story that we understand that um, uh, I think of even like the Marvel movies and you think of this, the movie Thor 
Um, Thor is filled with pride. He's on his way to the kingship. He thinks everything's going to go great. But his father sees that he's not ready to be king. So he sends him on earth to experience trials. He takes away his powers until he's ready to assume, assume them again. So he has to go through trials. And that's like every story. The, the hero has to go through trials before he enters into his victory. And that's, kind of, that's the way life is. And so when we, when we see ourselves in these struggles, when we see that things don't go well, when we see that we're in poverty, when we see that we don't have the money we'd like or can't take the vacations we'd like or don't have the health we'd like or whatever the case may be, we need to turn to transform our thinking to say that, that if we are a follower of Jesus, then we are on the path to glory, and this is part of the path. And so if you feel, on, you feel on, you're like you're on the bottom today, are you mourning? Are you weeping? Do you feel you've missed out on something? Do you feel that you're poor? Do you feel that you're excluded? Do you feel like people are against you? Well, it's not going to last. You're blessed, for you shall be comforted. Don't let these trials grip your heart so much. You are free as a follower of Jesus. Weeping may last for a night, but joy will come in the morning. Now, Jesus says that those who are poor are blessed, but he says those who are rich are cursed. Woe to you who are rich. So why does he say this? Well, it's, in some ways, it's, we can understand something of this because riches are, are deceitful. Riches are deceitful. They promise so much, but they often give back so little. And think about this in the big picture. Think about the United States. The United States for so long has been on the top of the world. We have all kinds of stuff that we can get. We have opportunities. If, if, if we are healthy and we need more money, we can easily find work where we can make more money and so on. It's, it's a land of opportunity. It's a land of blessedness. But what do we find in our nation? People are filled with anxiety. People are filled with depression. Everywhere you go, there's, there's tens of millions of prescriptions for anxiety and depression in our nation. We're at each other's, politically, we're at each other's throats. And so you see that in spite of all that we've accomplished as a nation, which this accomplishments are significant and blessed, um, yet it's kind of deceitful. Where have we ended up? But it's not only deceitful because it doesn't necessarily make you happy. It's also deceitful because it's temporary, that you can enjoy these things for the moment but they don't last. Riches take wings. They fly away. Those who gain it now may not have it tomorrow. And above all, in this life, we can gain everything. And as Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? We can spend all our time gaining the world, but if we've lost our soul and go on to perdition, then it gains us nothing. The John Wesley, not me, but the, the preacher I'm named after, said... Jesus here again pronounces the poor and the hungry, the mourners and the persecuted happy and represents as miserable those who are rich and full and joyous and applauded because generally prosperity is a sweet poison and affliction a healing, though bitter, medicine. Now, as soon as, you know, people get nervous when you start talking about this stuff. Does it mean if I have a lot of money that therefore I'm necessarily going to hell? And if I don't have money, then I'm necessarily going to heaven? No, it doesn't mean that. And, you know, we can make some qualifications about that. It, you know, it's not that possessions are bad in themselves. It's not that being poor is in, its, in and of itself good. 
But I think J.C. Ryle made a good point when he talks about all that. Listen to, listen to what he said about this. One mighty lesson stands out plainly on the face of these verses. May we all lay it to heart and learn wisdom. That lesson is the utter contrariety between the mind of Christ and the common opinions of mankind. The conditions of life which the world reckons desirable and are the very conditions upon which the Lord pronounces woes. So, when we have said all in the way of qualifying, explaining, and limiting our Lord's words, which, again, Jesus has a way of speaking in hyperbole, exaggeration, to make a point. He does this throughout. So like when he says, pluck out your eye so you can enter the kingdom of God, he doesn't literally want you to pluck out your eye. The point is that we need to look at those things that are keeping us from a good relationship with God and enjoying it and remove them. We need to repent. So he's like that. When we have said all in the way of qualifying, explaining, and limiting our Lord's words, there still remain two sweeping assertions which flatly contradict the current doctrine of mankind. The state of life which the Lord blesses, the world cordially dislikes. The people to whom our Lord says, Woe unto you, are the very people whom the world admires, praises, and imitates. That is, this is a dreadful fact, and it ought to raise within us great searchings of heart. We cannot follow the way of the world in terms of what it says is desirable, what it says is the things to pursue. We cannot make the priorities of the world the priorities of our own hearts. It's not the way to blessedness. It's not the way to happiness. In fact, often those things which the world says are the worst are actually the true ways to blessedness. So that's what Jesus teaches about money. Now you want to hear what he has to say about relationships? Or do you want to just quit there, right? So, okay. Relationships. All right. So Jesus commends here in this relationship, trying to understand all the details. I'm going to, I see this as going from verse 27 through 42, how we relate to other people, which is very important to Jesus. So, but Jesus commends a basic stance in our relationships, and that is to be a blessing person, a blessing person. Look at verse 28. He says, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. In other words, we are so much the type of people that bless others that even when people attack us, we still have that basic disposition to bless. We are blessed ourselves, as Jesus has already said, in order to bless everyone around us. As one author said, we are called to be the blessing people. Jesus commends a basic stance towards people, and that is a stance of giving Look at verse 38. He says, give and it will be given to you. So that is the basic idea, that we give and that is the way that we experience the blessing of the Lord. As one author said, uh, the kingdom that Jesus preached and lived was all about a glorious, uproarious, absurd generosity. Now, that doesn't always mean money. There are a variety of gifts that we can give other people. For example, a warm greeting. We can give advice. We can give the gift of listening. We may purchase something. We may give money. But we may also give time, an apology. We may provide an experience. We may help someone in a struggle. 
That's the disposition that Jesus is commending here as a blesser and a giver. Now, Jesus talks here a lot about a lot of the obstacles that we commonly face to being a blessing people and to being a giving people. For example, the wrongs that we experience from other people when they do bad things to us. The other thing is that it's sometimes hard to move outside of our comfort zone to where people, other people are and where the place of blessing is. It's often fear. If I give unto others, then I won't have anything left for myself and I'll end up destroying myself. And then also our, our, our opinions that we often have of other people, the judging that we do. And Jesus seeks to remove each one of these objections or obstacles to being a giving and blessing people. When he says that, first of all, in regards to wrongs that people commit, he says that we should bless our enemies, that we should forgive those who have done wrong, that we should have an attitude that's ready even to bear with other people. Now, note, there's nothing wrong with real boundaries that we set in order to keep people from attacking us. He's not, Jesus is not saying we have to let other people abuse us continually. However, what, where we have to be on our guard when people do us wrong is that we not let other people's attacks determine how we live and how we relate to other people. Because then we're in a sort of bondage to those who've attacked us. If we refuse to let things go and give them over to God, then we end up keeping those things in our heart and it ends up hurting us more than the person who has harmed us. The point of loving our enemies is not a new list of rules, but rather an attitude of heart, a lightness of spirit in the face of all the world can throw at you. In other words, that I'm going to be a blessing and giving person and no matter how much other people may be jerks, I'm not going to let that change that basic disposition. That's what Jesus is saying. And so, and we do that, we remain free. We live as God has called us to live, to be a blessing people, to be a giving people. A friend of mine was sharing recently about how he had reviewed a lot of the wrongs in his, in his life that he had experienced, even uh, serving in the ministry. And what he decided that he would do is that after reading the words of Jesus, is he says, I'm going to go through all these people that I still harbor these things against, and I'm going to bless them. I'm going to say, Lord, bless this person and keep them. Make your face shine upon them and be gracious to them, and so on. Praying a literal blessing upon the people that had actually done him harm. And what he saw was, as he did this, he began to see his heart set free as he processed this before the Lord. And then he was able to relate to people even in the present with greater freedom than he ever had before. That's what Jesus is talking about here. The second obstacle we have to relating as giving or blessing people is, being, is that sometimes being, giving or reaching out to people, moving outward, is uncomfortable or awkward, as we often say. Is that, is that to, to, give, to greet new people is a challenge. It feels awkward. It feels uncomfortable. And Jesus says, though, that's not, that shouldn't stop you. Because he says that everybody greets those they know and are comfortable with. Even sinners do that. Do good unto those who do good to you. Everybody does that. But that's not what your heavenly father is like. 
Your Heavenly Father is interested in all, and he reaches out to all. And that is a spirit that is like our Heavenly Father, and that's the best way to be. We're created to be in the image of God, and we are to be with that. So sometimes it's hard. We have to move out of our comfort zone. Now, I think of a big example of this is my, is my great-grandparents. They left on a boat from New York City and got outside their comfort zone. They, they went from, from a life growing up in America to the other side of the ocean into the middle of Africa to serve those who were, who were there with the gospel, those who might know it, to build a school and to build a, min, and to build a ministry there. And they weren't going to be able to go back for a long, long, long time. And they weren't going to be, and if they wrote letters, they wouldn't get there for a long, 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 long time. And so they were, they were out there on their own. They had to get out of their comfort zone, a whole new place. And then they, they founded the ministry there, and then later they felt like God was calling them to go to another country. And they went to Zim, what is today Zimbabwe, and they set up a, a medical mission there. They had to get out of their comfort zone. Now, that's really getting out of your comfort zone. But God may not call you to go to Africa um, although I, I hope to be in Africa in, in, in like eight days, but not necessarily going to stay there. Um, but, uh, but, we, but he does call us to move outside where we are. That's where the place of blessing others is. And in doing that, we can be open to people, open to Jesus, open to what God will do, and we'll be like our Heavenly Father, and we'll find the way of blessing for ourselves. The other thing is fear that he addresses here. What happens if I give to others then how will I be provided for? How will I be cared for? Well, know what he says in verse 35. He says, But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. And so what God says is, we can give more than we think. Again, we need to rest, we need to sleep, God has commanded that, we need to take, take breaks and all that. But, we can give more than we think because the Lord is going to bless us. Great is our reward in heaven. He says, give and it will be given to you. We may feel like we're at the end and we can't do it, but a lot of times we can because the Lord will give us strength and he'll pay us back and the Lord will make sure that we are taken care of. And I've read innumerable places where people who have given way more than they thought in terms of time and money and the Lord just continues to open doors and provide in a way that they, that they did not expect. As the great theologian Ted Turner said, what the Bible really says is true. Says is really true. It is better to give than to receive because we get back. But then the other thing is often we have judgments about people that, that keep us from relating to them and being a giver and a blesser of them. And so Jesus warns us against that. He says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And he warns us, warns People that they're looking at the plank in their, in their brother's eye and not seeing the speck in their own. Now, if you're thinking of some... What? Other way around. Thank you, Cliff. So don't judge me in there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so if you're thinking of someone else now who needs to stop judging, then you're not getting the point, okay? We got to think about ourselves. We all have these judgments that we tend to make about other people that are snap judgments that are not rooted in reality. And I think of one of my, one of my dearest friends uh, that I've had in my lifetime. When I first met him, I was like, I, I thought everybody should be a sort of theological machine. And, uh, and so he invited me 
to go out and ride four-wheelers. And I was like, I want to get together and talk about theology. This guy, psh, he's kind of worthless. And so uh, I, that's my judgment. And uh, then we started going to Presbytery together. We had to drive seven hours across South Dakota one way to get to our meeting. And we realized, man, I really like this guy. And we built one of the strongest friendships. But what if I had let that judgment determine the way that I had thought about him and I had missed out on that blessing? So Jesus is warning us against that. We need to look first at ourselves, show a general charity towards others. And that will open up the door for us to be blessing, blessing people, to bless others, and to be ready to give. Now, the third thing is Jesus talks about how we change. And he tells us that it begins with the heart. So how do we change? Well, there's a lot of things that we can do to change. And, and there's, there's a lot of wisdom in that you can find in a lot of places. But to, to make, really become the person that we're called to be, Jesus says that that change begins in the heart. He says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so, what problems are we seeing in our lives? Are we seeing you know, anxiety, addictions, bad relationships, um, you know, an inability to do the things we're supposed to be doing? We don't just say, i got to try harder. We've got to go back to the heart and ask, what am I thinking? How is my approach to this? One, one way Jesus describes it elsewhere is he has this interesting statement. He says that if your eye is full of light then your whole body will be full of light. And, it's, and that one's kind of like, what? But really what he's saying is how we see things, how we think about things, how we process them in our heart is going to determine how we approach the world. And a lot of our thoughts about things have just developed from the world, things we grew up with, judgment we make. A lot of them we're not even aware of, these snap judgments we make and why. But we, what Jesus wants to call us to do is to check out what is, what is going on in our heart and to go to him so that we can have a heart change and a transformation. Now let me give you a, just a simple example. We can go, you can go much deeper than this. But it's, it's interesting. I remember when I was really thinking about this and changing how we, way we were thinking. I was, at, I was at Food City in the morning and I was wait, waiting in line to get into... The, to get, get to fill up my gas, to go up by where the pumps are. And so I was there, and then someone was going to pull out, and then I would follow up behind them. Well, someone immediately pulled in front of me. And of course, what was my immediate reaction? Total jerk. I can't believe he did that, you know? But then I, then I actually started processing. It's like, now why did I think that? So I, I said, first of all, there's a couple options here. One is that he didn't actually know that I was there which is definitely possible, and it's just an honest mistake. And if that's the case, then why would I be upset at him? Why would I get mad at people for making an honest mistake? That's a fault of my own. But let's say that he saw me, and he says, I don't care, I'm going to get there first, and I don't care what that guy thinks. Well then, if he lives that way, that's really going to harm him. But I don't have to think that way, and I'm going to be okay, and the Lord's going to take care of me. And it's not that big of a deal. And so I was able to just let it go. 
That is the sort of thing that I mean when we see what is going on inside our heart. And we have to think about that. And it's, sometimes it's hard to see. Sometimes we need friends. Sometimes we need to write it out. Um, I, I've been thinking about these things for years. And it's like amazing. Like, man, I had this whole way of thinking. I was just terrible. And, I, and it needs to be, I need to repent and bring it before the Lord. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, Jesus tells us that if we're going to see the world correctly, if we're going to have the right heart, we need to found our, our life on his own words, on the words of Jesus. Look at what he says in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? He says, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my word and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. Now, what, hold on here. So look at what he's saying. He's saying, you need to build your life upon my words. That is, the words of Jesus, not the words of Wes. The words of Jesus. He's saying that. That's a rather astonishing claim. For someone to come and to say, if you want to really prosper and be blessed, then you just simply need to follow everything I'm telling you. It sounds like almost like super egotistical, except that he actually knows the way. And he doesn't come across that way. He's compassionate. He's humble. He's, he's the man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. He cares about people, you know? All these things. And yet he comes across and he says, what is the way to eternal blessedness? It is transforming your heart in such a way that my words become the foundation of your life. It's a rather astonishing claim. And here we see that Jesus is saying he is the one sent from God to bring salvation and life to all people. And it is only in him that we find it. And what he says is that if we build our lives on his teachings, that we will live a life that is blessed and the, and the result of not doing so leads to destruction. He gave an illustration. He says, let's say that someone wanted to build a house, and, the, and if they want to build it on stone, then the storms come, and it has a firm foundation. It won't be swept away. But if someone builds it on sand, when the storm comes, it'll all be moved away, and the house will be ruined. He's saying that any other foundation other than the words that I'm teaching you, is what he's saying, is the one that leads to destruction. The other, and the words, my words, lead to eternal life. It's an astonishing statement. But Jesus is aligning us with what really is. His teachings are, are strong and forceful, sometimes shocking, but they're designed to get us out of the common way of thinking and find the way of true blessedness and happiness. So what does this look like if we were to actually begin to implement this? Well, first of all, we begin with actually reading and getting familiar with Jesus' words. That we would find, seek first to say, what is Jesus actually saying? Secondly, we might ask the question, how would my life be different if I put this into practice? If I actually live this way, what would it be? What would the difference be? Then third, we might pray and say, Lord, help me to be that type of person that you've called me to be. And then by his grace, fourth, begin to actually implement it in our lives. Begin to seek to align what we're doing with what Jesus has taught us. It's really that simple. And what if we did? What if Christians were known for their abundant generosity? What if they were known as their, for their ability to work through difficult relationships? What if they were known for the different value they placed on things? Wouldn't that begin to change us and the world? People would stand up and take notice. They might not like it. There'd probably be opposition, as Jesus warns. But it would begin to bring the world 
to the place that they begin to understand what Jesus is really teaching and the way to true blessedness. That's a vision that can begin with us as we begin to implement what Jesus has taught in our lives. A reminder of the story of Florence Nightingale. Have you ever had a, have you, if you've been to the hospital, have you ever had a nurse that you really enjoyed and appreciate, really cared for you well? Well, if you've had that experience, you owe some of it, probably, humanly speaking, to Florence Nightingale. She was born in the 19th century into wealth and privilege, but she, her whole life, felt to call to get out and serve. And when, when she, when, and she especially wanted to serve those who were sick. Hospitals were often unclean, and people were often in, uncared for, even in a place of wealth, relative wealth like Britain. And then there was a war that came in the Crimea, similar to where there's a war today, and she saw that the, those who were wounded were facing terrible conditions, similar to what she had seen back in Britain, and except that it was worse because they were dying not only because of injuries on the battlefield, but because of the lack of care after they had come off the battlefield. And so she approached um, the leaders of the government, and she got a group together, and she led them to go, and she became the hero of that war in that she took care of those and changed the whole way of thinking about how those who were sick and dying were cared for. And she went on to invent modern nursing. She wrote numerous books. But it was really what was leading her to do that. It was the call of Jesus on her life that was calling her to be a blessing person, to be a person who gives. And that's what we can do too as we follow the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thus may it be. Amen.